0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly.
1: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast presented by SeatGeek. This is the week of February 25th. I'm your host, Josh Nelson. I am back from vacation. This episode has so much going in it. We'll have our best friend of the podcast, Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs.com, sharing the 2019 Zips rejections. And we'll preview the Chicago White Sox starting pitching staff on this week's show. And wouldn't you know it, in just a few days, it will be March, which means spring weather should be arriving soon. And we have spring training games in the books. And the regular season starts in a month. And these are things to be really upbeat and positive about. But things are not upbeat for White Sox fans. While I was on vacation, sipping on Mount Gay Rum in the Barbados, Bad news was delivered by ESPN's Jeff Passan. Manny Machado signed a 10-year, $300 million deal with the San Diego Padres. Our worst fears were realized. The White Sox lack of a quality initial offer allowed a team at the last possible moment to come in and sign Machado away. While it is disappointing that Machado will not be playing for the White Sox, Even more disappointing is the continued doubts of the front office's ability in building a winning core. General Manager Rick Hahn claims false narratives surround the franchise, and in many cases, he is correct. But the one that has lingered, and is the root cause of this franchise needed to go through a rebuild in the first place, was the front office's inability to sign premium free agents like Manny Machado. So after missing out on Machado and reportedly not even trying to sign Bryce Harper, where do the White Sox go from here? Can this rebuild be successful without signing premium free agents or has the White Sox front office once again missed out on a golden opportunity? To discuss with me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, good to talk to you again after a brief hiatus. I wish it was under better circumstances.
2: Yes, that was basically as disappointing, I I think, as it gets for uh, the White Sox and following them, just having this go on for months and months and months and end in such an anticlimactic manner. It wasn't the White Sox getting blown out or it wasn't like uh, Manny Machado's uh price tag got out of hand and all of a sudden you're talking about 350 or 400 million dollars it was for the price that white Sox fans and analysts and and you know uh, i guess uh objective third parties more or less figured you know 10 years 300 million and the white Sox just weren't you know
0: if they weren't in on that price all along what were we even doing here? <laughs> yeah i mean we have to start with the optics the white Sox offer was a guaranteed 250 million over eight years yes, there was the chance, based on plate appearances in Machado's 30, age 34 season, uh, because the White Sox don't manipulate service time or plate appearances whatsoever, uh, that if Machado was able to meet that plate appearance, he, he could have gotten another $70 million possibly. So it could have been a possible 10-year, $320 million deal. But you you nailed it right on the head, Jim. We knew from the very beginning with both Manny Machado and Bryce Harper that they wanted 10 year deals and they wanted the $300 million. They wanted to have a Jean Carlos stand type contract. And at the situations that they're in being age 26 and being as successful as they are and still really haven't even hit that prime set of years, or at least they're coming up right. Ages 27 to 30 through 32. Uh, Yeah, they deserve this type of contract. And I'm just a- after this and being on vacation and trying to catch up on Twitter when I can to understand what is going on. I, uh, I didn't, I did not want to hear from Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams immediately. I'd love to hear from Jerry Reinsdorf. There's a bunch of Chicago Bulls fans. I'd also like to hear from Jerry Reinsdorf on exactly what's going on uh, with these franchises. I understand that's not going to happen because that's not Jerry. Uh, Jerry style at all, even though from the Chicago, other Chicago sports owners, we hear from George McCaskey. We hear from Tom Ricketts. We hear from Rocky Wirtz. We're not going to hear from Jerry. I get that. But the way that Rick Conn was trying to explain on how he felt about the White Sox offer to Manny Machado, that in some ways it was better than what San Diego had offered. I, I don't get that Jim. So that ends up being a little bit frustrating mm-hmm. and Han has said that the money will be spent. It may not be this off season, but someday this money will be spent. And I feel like, well, let's all hold our breaths on that empty promise. And what do you? What's even more frustrating from this? Yes, it sucks that you missed out on a, a key free agent, but there's still another key free agent out there in Bryce Harper. So, in your opinion, why are the White Sox not just turning around and now trying to sign Bryce Harper after missing out on Machado? Well, I think Machado fits
2: the White Sox needs in in in, in more ways. You know, Third base being a dead zone on the organi- organizational depth chart uh, with Harper having, you know, I guess, more of an inconsistent track record. I think if the White Sox wanted to spend that kind of money, I think Machado would be the more certain, uh, I guess, target to spend it on. And also, I think when it comes to Scott Boris and the way he handles negotiations, I think the White Sox' uh, patience is limited um, and... and they just don't want to really want to play his games with the mystery teams and with um you know the, these like you know with the the Phillies owner making a flight out there and having all these people following the flight aware and and and, and flight trackers and then realizing you know you know he wasn't going to leave with the deal or was he going to stay out there until they signed something and turns out he didn't and it's just kind of more of a mess and I think the White Sox just have limited appetite for dealing with that even if you know as we saw with the Padres and Machado, you know, they they seem to have a, they don't seem to understand where they are and what they need to do to close deals. I think the Padres were more cognizant of their position as a team that isn't really a great place for free agents at this time. They're not contending right away. Uh, They don't have a rich track record of, um, I guess, overcoming the opposition. So, you know, they said, you know, 10 years, 300, I guess we'll have to do that. And the White Sox, they tried to get creative and, uh, Rick Hahn really patted himself on the back for how creative their deal was, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just like, it's, yeah, that's one thing that annoyed me with Hahn, and I think neither Kenny Williams nor Han covered themselves in glory trying to explain it, but I, I found Kenny's uh, reaction more credible, you know, a little bit more emotional, and, and more, it was uh, genuine. I guess, reflective. Yeah, just how draining it was, even though he had the line about how the rest of the team is going to get more expensive. Like, you know, they're you know, that's really annoying when they when you know, you're prevented from uh, seeing Eloy on the timeline he demands just because you want to try to stretch out his window and then you blame it on him anyway. And others like him for getting more expensive because they're good. Uh, that was annoying. But then you have Han coming out and, you know with Han he's got these kind of prefab statements he he likes to uh, when he's on either radio stations or media he has all these kind of uh, talking points that he hits over and over again and he had that one about you know the narratives and you know he, he was kind of using this for the whole Machado pursuit saying nobody thought we'd rebuild we're doing that nobody thought we traded the Cubs we did that nobody thought we'd break the bank to sign a international free agent we did that you know, and it was satisfying or at least, you know, understandable when he was talking about an open-ended pursuit that, you know, wasn't, uh, you know, that, that wasn't resolved yet. But when it comes to failing to land a target, you can't, you know, go through the whole litany again. That was just <laughs> supremely annoying and tone deaf just to hear him talking about all the things they had done. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it just ends in... Well, we didn't do this. And just like, yeah, we know. We're, we're, that's what we've been talking about the whole time. You know, and, and it's just such a waste of time and a waste of bandwidth to have them, you know, just burn out the clock, you know, take a minute off an interview just by rehashing this whole thing over and over again when it doesn't apply to the situation at hand. So I, I think we saw the weaknesses of both their approaches. And, uh, ultimately I think it comes down to Reinsdorf not approving the money and they don't want to throw him under a bus because it's pretty sweet working for him. And, uh, (laughs) so that's what really just, you know, you get these unsatisfying explanations.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, there's no better gig in professional sports right now than working for Jerry Reinsdorf, right? Pretty much. You know, with Han, I mean, I want to go back in the limits thing because we have audio of Rick Han during SoxFest when asked about what is going to be the limit when Manny Machado was still a target for the White Sox. And Rick Hahn clearly said that every team has limits. And then after this ordeal with Machado, he came out and said that, well, we really don't have restrictions. We don't have financial limits, but then if you don't have that, then why aren't you being more serious about going after Bryce Harper but clearly, I think it does mean that Jerry Reinsdorf does have limits. Your boss has a limit on how much he wants to commit, in terms of years and money, to a player. And you wanted to, you wanted Manny Machado to prove at age 34 that he was he'd be worth having. Two extra years tacked on to his contract for another seventy million dollars. Like, I get why Manny Machado signed with San Diego. Give me the fifty million more guaranteed money. Oh, in my first year, I get a twenty million dollars signing bonus that's tax free. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely sign that deal. Uh, so I even question how creative Rick Hahn's offer was uh, to Manny Machado. But from all this, I mean, we could vent about the front office. We've been venting about the front office for years, and I'll get to the player side because we do have to address the question of where does the rebuild go from here. But looking at the White Sox front office, do we need to recalibrate our expectations when it comes to the White Sox free agent pursuits? Uh, Are we now moving forward and saying players like Nolan Arenado, forget about it. The White Sox are not really going to be serious on players like Nolan Arenado or uh, that this was just as simple as that they missed. They simply missed on Manny Machado.
2: I would, uh, I guess, go back to not believing it'll happen. With how wide open the pursuit was, or at least how clear the path was to landing Machado, all you had to do was beat the Padres. (laughs) And it seemed like the way they pursued him and the way they wanted another team set the market that they wanted to finish second the whole time. Like, they they had no interest in setting a top line for a free agent. I don't know whether that's um, just the apprehension to spend that much, whether it's Jerry Reinsdorf's kind of well-known uh, interests against labor uh, and maybe not wanting to set uh, new, uh, you know, benchmarks for free agents or whatever, but it just seemed like they weren't interested in actually landing him. Uh, otherwise, they could have done it maybe a month earlier. I, it seemed like they just w- it wanted to look like they were serious, but not ultimately uh, seal the deal. And so I think with Arenado, when he's a free agent, maybe have more teams involved. Um, you know, maybe Anthony Rendon. You know, maybe somebody like him. You know, maybe having multiple third basemen makes it possible. Just because uh, you know there might be fewer. Uh, maybe like a team like the Padres comes out and outbids for Arenado, but maybe Rendon like doesn't have the kind of suitor, and the White Sox can get him at a slightly lower price. But I think it'll take something like that either, um, you know, offering the second biggest contract of the winter or for the position or, you know, I think we've seen it before with the White Sox, just how they take on other people's assets. Like, you know, they, they traded for James Shields uh, a year and a half into his deal. They acquired Alex Rios uh, a year uh, or a couple of years into his big deal with Toronto. I think they might be somebody, you know, might be a team that's always more interested in, Uh, taking on contracts after the big depreciation hits, kind of like buying a car off a lease rather than actually getting the car
0: new. That's a really good point that you make, Jim, because, yeah, we've seen that. Even Todd Frazier, right? The White Sox got the last two years of Todd Frazier's contract from the Cincinnati Reds. That was their big move, right, to try to help uh, as far as get one last run with Chris Sale and Jose Quintana and Adam Eaton, and obviously that didn't work out. So maybe the White Sox front office, maybe that is Rick Hahn's sweet spot. He's more comfortable making trades and additions than free agency. Because, listen, if Rick Hahn was a sales guy, he'd be fired. Like, sales guys, you, you, you do or do not, there is no try, to quote Yoda from Star Wars. Like, you either sign players or you don't. You don't get credit for your effort, Because the teams that miss out are the teams that are going to be stuck with win projections at 69. I think the last one from Fangraphs now has the White Sox winning only 68 games in 2019. While teams like San Diego now get to pair this 26-year-old superstar with the best farm system in Major League Baseball. Like The arrow is really pointing up on a team that's in a similar position as you. That, that's why it's just so frustrating. If you are the GM of the Chicago White Sox and you have a team like the San Diego Padres who are in a similar position as you are, who may be even a better position than you are from their international efforts and their development program, that they have more prospects to get more recognition and top 100 lists than yours. And they beat you out because they didn't even get into the negotiations until the leaked 70 or $175 million deal came out. And then they decided, well, if nobody's going to be serious about signing Manny Machado, we might as well try. I I, I think that's a fireball offense. But as you mentioned, Jim, there is no better gig right now in professional sports than working for Jerry Reinsdorf. So we know that's not going to happen. But I I am beyond when it comes to Rick Hahn's efforts on trying to build a winning ball club. I, I think... All I can hope for at this moment is that all these players that has been through the accumulations of the trades and the Major League Baseball drafts and the few international guys that somehow they create a 25-man roster that overcomes the shortcomings of the front office, that there is no superstar free agent signing that's coming to help them. They're going to have to do this on their own. And we have seen that happen in the past, right? We, I, I'm going to use the example of the Kansas City Royals. The Royals eventually did get it to work. It took a long time mm-hmm. from their recognized top farm system, and their window was short, but it did happen. And they went to back-to-back World Series, and they won one of them. I, I think this rebuild can still work, but it's not going to work because Rick Hahn is a genius, Instead, it's going to work because the players themselves click at the same time. Luck also helps players stay healthy and they finally live up to the expectations that everybody had on them when evaluating, because if the front office is not going, if they're going to miss on a golden opportunities like this, then I I don't think the players on the White Sox 40 man roster can count on the front office to help them. Yeah. Uh, And also weak division. Yeah, that helps. Yes, that does yeah. help. <laughs> we can't forget about that. So kudos to the Minnesota Twins signing Marwin Gonzalez. But, you know, they're only projected to win 83 games while the Cleveland Indians are still going to be a 92-91 win team because, yeah, you got three teams that are terrible in the division of Kansas City, Detroit, and Chicago. I, I just don't understand. I-, I can I don't see how anyone that covers the White Sox – or as a fan of the White Sox team has a lot of confidence right now in this front office.
2: Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, uh, it's a, it's a big whiff and it, it's,
0: uh, and I don't think they get that I, Jim I, from when, when Rick Hahn speaks about this, I do not think he truly understands how big of an opportunity he missed on.
2: Well, I think when it comes to free agents of this, you know, size, you know, commitment and such, you know, the 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 ten year deals that didn't work out always loom large. You know, whether it's as bad as Albert Pujols or as inconsequential as Robinson Cano, you know, there's not, yeah, you know, it's it's decent money uh, to be made by betting against these guys just because they're human and and you know only one player can make uh, so much of an impact on a team that is not all together. So I, I kind of get that. Um, but it could have been such a difference maker in terms of how we perceive the White Sox front office, how we perceive their desire to win and desire to, uh, you know, improve the product against the rest of the league. Uh, not getting creative or, you know, creating offers that are supposedly superior in certain respects. You're know, just trying to go, you know, balls to the wall to win. You know, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's been missing this basically since the first attempt at rebuilding um maybe you know since the immediate aftermath of the world series when they tried to uh head off fatigue by you know trading for you know, like javier vasquez and such and and then you know nick swisher later you know pretty much after the whole uh letting Tommy go and such it's just been underwhelming this whole time just you know not going for the you know not, not going for the throat and and trying to be uh too creative or having to deal with other stuff besides improving the roster and it's just been you know a, a litany of disappointments and you know that's why it's a big whiff just because we would be talking about other things when you see the headlines that the Padres gets when you see how excited they are to add a player of the caliber uh and and just resetting the whole uh tone of the season and and how they're approaching covering it and and talking about it and how many you know, tickets they sell and jerseys it would have just been a completely clean slate for all the i guess you yeah, know for the rebuild and, and for all the i guess trauma that happened to players last year with injuries and and doubts about development it would have just been clean and whether machado is the guy that gets them across the finish line or whether it's, uh, you know, they still have to make additions or whether, you know, um, you, know, that, uh, you know, that that he doesn't amount to instant success. It would have just been different, and it would have been uh, a way to just think about them differently and, and just put them in a completely different brain space. I likened him to Jason Wirth of the Nationals and how, you know, maybe he was a little bit overpaid for his seven-year deal and maybe, you know, the, the immediate signing... Um, You know, the math on his signing turned out to be true that he was overpaid, but the Nationals didn't look back. They made the postseason a few times. Worth helped Uh, put them into a new level of payroll expectations, and they were able to sign more guys because of their success. And, uh, you know, it just, the Nationals were different after signing Worth than they were before it. And I wanted to see the same thing happen with Machado, and now that he's not there, and now that they're spending less than they did 10 years ago, it's just, there's no sense of uh, upward momentum. Yeah, there's, what
0: does the future hold for the White Sox in the next two years? You don't have any huge future financial commitments. I mean, we're, we're going we're gonna to preview the infielders next week, but I am not even confident that Jose Abreu is going to last all year with the White Sox, Jim. Mm-hmm. So if you trade him in July, that's half the salary gone from Jose Abreu's deal. So you may the payroll may even be less at the end of the year. That it is currently like I, and I know you have Commissioner Rob Manfred trying to go to bat right for the teams that purposely have low payrolls and, and try to win and say that there's no correlation between winning and and the amount of money that teams spend when we all know that's not true at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I just again, it, it's part of the frustration with the front office. It's part of the frustration with Rick Khan I don't know if he is going to spend money. And if he does spend money, is he going to be spending money wisely? I, I just they've taken on 40 million dollars in new contracts. And all you have to show for it is two relievers, a middle of the road starting pitcher, a catcher that probably shouldn't be playing in the major leagues. And Yonder Alonso and John Jay are probably going to get booed on opening day for what they told Manny about San Diego. And that's not fair. Heck, if Manny Machado called me and asked me about San Diego, I told him, I'll tell him, San Diego is amazing. Yes, you should go live there. If they're going to pay you $300 million over the next 10 years. Uh, but, you know, I feel bad for Alonzo and Jake they're going to have to deal with this stuff uh, all season long. And it's not their fault that Machado is in San Diego and not in Chicago. But, again, I just bring up the whole recalibration as far as our expectations. It just felt like... The White Sox front office was learning from all their past mistakes. And here we are again, three years later, and I feel like we're having the same type of conversations like we had after the 2015 and 2016 off seasons. That's fair. Yeah. Just not going far enough to try to win. Yeah. What's what happened in the mindset from Luis Robert, right? They outspent everyone to get Luis Robert. They went balls to the wall to get Luis Robert. Why didn't they have that same mentality for Machado? Maybe because the loophole for international players is closing, so
2: they didn't have to worry about ramifications from setting new bonus uh,
0: highs and and penalties for signing Robert. And I get that, but how many 26-year-old free agents are coming up the pipeline? Well,
2: I guess more. Uh, yeah, more than there used to be, like guys like Lindor not signing Bryant and so forth. So, there will be a spate of them, but it's it's not. There won't be a spate of them when San Diego is a team like San Diego is the only true competition.
0: Yeah, and some of the guys that you're counting on are going to be pretty deep into their contracts, like Carlos Rodon and Tim Anderson, and we're gonna have to have those conversations of are they going to be part of a winning core? I just I don't know. I get a real sense that the team's gonna be kicking the can down the road. Just keep pushing back the expectations of when this team's gonna be a winner. And it goes back to if this rebuild clicks. I think it's gonna be more because the players themselves are carrying a front office that has a lot of shortfalls. And it reminds me of Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Nobody would ever say that Dane Moore is a good general manager. Nobody will say that Ned Yost is a good manager. Yet that Kansas city ball club won two American league pennants and they won a world championship. So it does happen in baseball where a group of 25 guys stay healthy. They play beyond expectations and they, they shock the world. So hopefully that happens to the white Sox. But man, if Rick Hahn thinks that he's conquering all false narratives, this one is the one that he needed to overcome and, It is the big whiff, and it is very disappointing, and it's even more disheartening that they're not even going to try for Bryce Harper. So I don't get that at all either, but it is what it is. It is something that we'll be tracking all through the season and, of course, next season as well. So if you are frustrated and you wanted this segment to be cathetic for you guys or therapeutic for you because you share the same frustrations – uh, I think Jim and I are in the same boat as you guys. But to get through this season, there's a lot of progress we got to track for the players. There's spring training games that are going on. We get to talk about Yoan Mikata at third base this year, Jim. Mm-hmm. So stick with us. Please don't totally give up on the 2019 season, guys. But to bring even more positive news... That was sarcastic. Uh, coming up next on the podcast, it's our best friend of the show, Dan Zaborski from Fangraphs will be joining us to share the 2019 Chicago White Sox Zips projections. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why Seakeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value. SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget plus every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. I use SeatGeek all of the time. I have the app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I found to shop for tickets, especially buying White Sox tickets. or if you want to go see the Chicago Bulls or the Chicago Blackhawks, there's a bunch of concerts coming to Chicago as well. I always go to SeatGeek first to buy tickets because they have the best value and the best prices for those concerts and sporting events. And best of all, Socks Machine listeners get $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE to save $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Projection release season continues as we take a look at the 2019 Zips projections for the Chicago White Sox. What do the offensive numbers look like? Will the pitching improve in 2019? What should we expect from Eloy Jimenez's rookie season? And when you add it all up, how many wins are we looking at for the 2019 Chicago White Sox? Well, to help answer those questions is our best friend of the podcast. From Fangraphs.com, it's Dan Zaborski. And hello, Dan. Thanks for coming on the show again. Hey, Josh, it's always fun. I hope one day soon I will look at the fancy Zips baseball diamond projections that you post on Twitter, which you can follow Dan on Twitter at DZaborski, and be really excited about the upcoming Chicago White Sox season. Unfortunately, we're not there yet, as it appears both the offensive pitching is lacking both quality and depth, which are issues for teams that try to win. Zips likes Eloy Jimenez, though, for his rookie season. Zips is projecting a 2.3 win season from Eloy. Why do you think Zips likes Eloy to do better in 2019 than, say, a Yohan Makata or Jose Abreu?
1: Well, in uh, Mankata's case, he's he's taken pretty big steps back. Uh, and in, in some way, Jimenez has a higher upside remaining because he's more unknown. Every, every season that Mankata doesn't meet his potential, it makes it more likely. Uh, that he doesn't. Uh, in Abreu's case, he's he's now on the wrong side of 30. Uh, he's obviously a useful player to have around for, you know, clubhouse reasons as they've rebuilt, especially, uh, you know, working with Mancada uh, et cetera. But he's also on the decline. As uh, again, wrong side of 30. He, he had pretty clearly the worst season he's had in the majors so far in 2018. And generally players that are fairly relatively one-dimensional – he does hit for average when at his best, so I don't want to be too cruel about it. But I, I do think he's on the downswing. And Jimenez has, of course, tremendous upside, uh, despite what the White Sox uh, said. I'm I'm pretty sure all the realistic boxes were checked this year. Sure, I mean he could work on his defense, but I don't think he's ever going to be a great defensive player. And that's really what's dragging down his his uh, his Zips WAR number. The offensive projection is terrific. Uh it's just a little concerned about his defense. Uh but we'll see. I, I i think he's gonna be a terrific hitter and I think he is a big help to the White Sox right now.
0: Yeah, Zips is projecting a slash line of two eighty-nine, a three thirty-eight on base percentage and slugging five twenty-five a twenty-eight home run Sign me up for that in two thousand nineteen for Eloy Jimenez. But let's talk a little bit more about Yoan Mikata. What does he need to show more progression in I mean, he does need to show more progression in 2019. There's no question about that. Or White Sox fans are really gonna begin to panic. But for Zips, Zips is still projected a two-win season for Makata but the slash line is not that impressive. A two hundred thirty-four on uh, batting average, three twenty on base, slugging four oh six with two with twenty-one home runs, but striking out two hundred and eight times. What does Mikata need to do to help change Zip's mind about his production in the future? And not only take the steps forward that maybe he took back in 2018, but to even progress further to the player that I think a lot of people in baseball thought he could be when he was signed
1: by the Boston Red Sox. I, I think there's a ceiling until his play discipline improves at least somewhat. Uh, when you're striking out 200 times a year, I mean, you can still be a, a a contributor, as Mankata is, but it's it also limits your ceiling. Uh, Just to hit 235, as he did in 2018, he needed a batting average on balls in play over 340 just to hit 235. So the question is, how would he hit 270, say, without reducing his strikeouts? You can't say, oh, he'll just have a 390 batting average on balls in play, which is not likely to happen. Uh, I mean – as a general rule, I mean, he's going to have, everyone can have a spike season like, uh, you know, a certain Garcia did. Uh, but I think that even though he could add some power without improving his plate discipline, he already hits for pretty good power for a middle infielder. I, I just don't know where that path is without just some improvement at the plate. Uh, yeah, he didn't swing as, as many bad pitches as he did last year. Yeah. Uh, but he's also making pretty poor. He made pretty poor contact with the pitches, so in some way, that's a step back. If if you're being, you know, more disciplined, but you're you're missing more, it kind of cancels out any improvement.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the White Sox are going to have Mikata grip the bat differently in 2019 to see if that helps him at the plate. Something to pay attention to, and hopefully he can beat his zips projections. Moving over to Jose Abreu, we've had a lot of conversations over the years about Abreu, Dan. As you mentioned, he is on the wrong side of 30. He's 32 years old now. He's entering the final year of his deal. Zips thinks Abreu will hit 274 with a 330 on on-base percentage and slug .465 with 23 home runs, which, you know, for first baseman in the American League, uh, that might win him the silver slugger. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're good numbers, but they're not great numbers. And with the way free agency has worked out for older hitters the last couple of years, How crucial is 2019 for Jose Abreu personally? Not how much he can help with the White Sox. Because the White Sox obviously have a big decision. They have to decide whether or not they want to re-sign Jose Abreu. But if Jose Abreu wants to test-free agency and looking at what veteran hitters are signing for today, uh, he needs to have a big 2019 to help ease some doubts, right?
1: Yeah, if if you look around baseball, the the day where an aging average slugger in their you know entering their mid thirties getting a big deal seems pretty much behind us. I don't think it's cyclical. I don't think that teams are suddenly going to start abandoning uh, analytics and start going back to you know triple crown st- stats and 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 uh, the old straw hat routine. I, I think that if he wants a big payday or even uh, average payday coming out. Uh, when he first really hits free agency again in Major League Free Agency, he, he's going to have a better season than 2018. Uh, because if he if he hit the market uh, w- after 2018, I think he'd be in the same position as, as say, Mark Trumbo. Because, I mean, a few years ago we had a situation where both the AL and NL home run leaders got absolutely no interest. Uh, and Trumbo was better in that season than Jose Abreu was, although, of course, Abreu has the better record. Uh, and I think you can say the same as as, as Chris Carter. When Chris Carter, he he hit 40-something home runs and led the NL in, in home runs in 2016. He did have an OPS plus in the mid-110s, uh, which is pretty close to where Abreu was. And he, of course, got very, very little attention uh, in, in free agency. And while Abreu is better than Carter and better than Trumbo, simply because he has a better record, I don't think he would make that much more money, so... He has to show that he can be that he can enter the market like Paul Goldschmidt uh, is more likely to because Goldschmidt is still close to the top of his game. Uh, he's got to be closer to Goldschmidt if he wants to get paid. Do you think he can be? I think he can be. I mean, any talented player who's done it fairly recently can. I mean, he had an OPS plus over 140 in 2017, uh, but age is age is brutal. It's it it always wins in the end. Uh, so it's it's it's. More likely than not, it won't happen. But, you know, there is still a chance. You don't want to completely say, "Oh you know, no, he's done. Right.
0: It will be interesting to see what Jose Abreu's market is going to be after the 2019 season. Again, if the White Sox decide to not re-sign Jose Abreu or even give him an opportunity with the qualifying offer, that will be a discussion for later in the year. Uh, Yomer Sanchez and Tim Anderson both projected to be 1.4 win players. And then there is the new addition Manny Machado's brother-in-law, Yonder Alonso. And Dan, I'm still not sure why the White Sox traded for Alonso. I feel he's going to take some bats away uh, from Daniel Palka, who led the team last year in home runs. And I know Polka strikes out a ton, but Polka does have an elite skill, and that's exit velocity, and I'd like to see more at-bats for Palka in 2019 to see if it could continue. Uh, but I feel like with Yonder Alonso in the mix now, Alonso's going to take those at-bats away. From Polka in 2019. So, between these two hitters, Alonzo and Polka,
1: who do you think should get the bulk of the DH opportunities for the White Sox? I think Polka makes more sense simply because they're a rebuilding team. Uh, that being said, Zips doesn't really think Polka is that good a hitter overall outside of home runs. I think if the White Sox were seriously competing right now, then then you do give Alonzo the at bats over Polka because I think on average he's probably the better player than Polka. He's a more well rounded player. Uh Palka could hit, you know, thirty-five home runs and have an on-base percentage under three hundred. Uh but I don't think that it it really creates enough wins. I think the question of what Daniel Polka can do is more valuable to the White Sox than the actual wins that Yonder Alonzo could bring to the team. Now, if suddenly it's it's the end of May and and it's a close race, and the Indians are suffering because they didn't do anything about their outfield. Then you can start saying, hey, you know, maybe we should start giving Alonzo more at bats. Uh, but I think generally Polka should, if it's if it's into a situation where it's a choice. And I don't necessarily think that they. I think that they possibly could fit. I need to open up like my my lineup scratchings or something. Uh, I think they could conceivably get both in the lineup with some shuffling. Uh, but I'm I'm not positive about
0: that moving over to the pitching side according to Zips the best performing starter in 2019 for the Chicago White Sox will be Michael Kopach
1: <laughs> yeah well that's that's a theoretical one right Zips doesn't know about the Tommy John surgery I just I of course include Kopach because it's more interesting to see what he could do in 2019 if things have been different than what he will do which is going to be a you know, a 0 record with a 0.00 ERA with 0 strikeouts and 0 innings pitched uh, which isn't really fun to look at. Uh, no. I know people get annoyed but that, that's that's how I do it. I like to include theoretical things so the Rangers still get to see Adrian Beltre for one season and and, and players that go to Japan still get one more season of Zips because I think more information is better than less. I agree with you and
0: Zips would have projected a 2.4 win season for Michael Kopech, which...
1: Which is fine, yeah. yeah.
0: Obviously, as you mentioned, that's not going to happen. So second on the list is Carlos Rodon. Zips is projecting a 1.9 win season for Carlos Rodon in 2019 with a 4.15 ERA. And Dan, many White Sox fans have been waiting for Rodon to break out, as he has shown glimpses in the past that he could be a front-line starter and then he has one bad month with control, and then it just throws his numbers out of whack.
1: I think a lot of it is just being healthy. Uh, I think people underestimate under how not just being on the field and playing, but just when you're always worried about your health and you're always in a – when you're always in a state of recovering and, and, and coming back from an injury, it's hard to really work on your mechanics that much. Uh, Zips has generally been a believer in Rodon over the years. Uh, and if you look at his projection, I mean, it's 1.9 WAR, but that's 130 innings. If he could finally get this mythical 180 win season, all of a sudden you're looking at a at a close to three win projection, which is pretty solid. Uh, so I, I mean, I'm still positive about him, and but you know he does have things to work out. Zips does give him not a, a better does give him a better walk rate than he had in 2018, so it's something.
0: Ronaldo Lopez had a two-win season, according to Fangraphs, in 2018 with a 3.91 ERA, finished really strong. Zips is projecting a step back for Lopez with a 1.2 win season, and his ERA balloons to 4.65. I know this is what Zips thinks about Lopez, Dan, but this is a tough pill to swallow for White Sox fans because we would think that Lopez could build upon his good 2018 season. Why do you think Zips is projecting a step back for Ronaldo Lopez?
1: Well, at this rate in his career, he hasn't shown an ability to beat his FIP by that amount. Uh, In 2018, he beat his FIP by three quarters of a run. And while Zips, if, say, if this were Tom Glavin and he were 30 and he'd been doing it for a decade, then Zips is more believing, more, more less skeptical about a player being able to ex- exceed that. Uh, I think a good example is, is Chase Anderson with the Brewers. Zips has become increasingly a believer in his ability to exceed his fit to some degree uh lopez i mean he hasn't shown that yet and based on his hit profile in the minors he didn't really show that in the minors either so then the question is is he really a 3.91 something era guy or a guy who's who who had a FIP around 4.6 4.7 last year and that's kind of the big question uh lopez in zips zips is just not convinced yet uh but that's and on the plus side, that a source of error like this means there's also a source of upside because if he is a guy who can do that year in, year out, then all of a sudden you have a guy who's beating the projections. And of course, that's a good news because the, the White Sox pay for the actual performance, not what's projected to happen.
0: Lucas Giolito was one of the worst starting pitchers in 2018. Zips is projecting a better 2019 season with Giolito cutting a run off his ERA with a projected 5.03 ERA that's still not good. Uh, but it's a lot better than 6.13, which is what he had in 2018. And instead of being worth negative 0.2 wins above replacement, according to fan graphs, he'd be worth half a
1: win. So some improvement. It is an improvement. Take you take it where you can get it. Uh, there's just – I mean, you want to see Giolito come all the way back. And he showed, you know, at, at, at times during the season, brief glimpses uh, of that. Uh, now, of course, he – showed a lot more glimpses of not coming back to where he was uh so zips zips doesn't think he's the six e r a picture he thinks he's better than that uh and there are concerns he's he's not really a hard thrower he threw harder as a prospect and and his performance was kind of blip but it he showed shown enough that zips is saying okay he's not that bad he's above replacement he's probably gonna be okay ish maybe i guess is the uh, is the takeaway Is
0: there anything other than walks that you think Giolito needs to approve upon in 2019?
1: Uh, It's hard to say. I I don't think really any of his pitches are real, just shut down the. uh, There's no one real punch out pitch that he has anymore. Uh, I mean, he, he has. I mean, he's not like he's a two pitch guy just throwing fastballs and sliders. He does have a few pitches, but I don't think any of them. Unless he becomes just amazing at changing speeds, I don't think any is really just a crazy punch-out pitch. And I think that when you're a guy who's throwing you know, 92, 93 instead of you know, 97, 98, you have to have a killer pitch that isn't a fastball that can finish off at-bats because it's hard to succeed even for a soft tosser that's skilled at it. It's hard to be successful long-term striking out around six and a half guys a game.
0: Now, looking at Zip's projections for White Sox relievers, and this is an area where I think that there could be some potential. Alex Colomay, Jace Fry, Kelvin Herrera, Juan Minaya, Aaron Bummer, and Ian Hamilton are projected to be at league average or above via ERA+. Can the White Sox bullpen be a surprise in 2019,
1: Dan? And could this be a sneaky good bullpen? Uh, it can be. I mean, as you said, you look at the projections for Colome and and Jace Fry, and Zips is pretty high on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those guys, I believe, have ERA pluses projected over one twenty, which is which is quite solid. Uh, it, it's it's still a little skeptical on Kelvin Herrera coming back because he's not the picture that he was back in his salad days with the Royals, but he's not a bad picture, and they have some depth there. Another uh, question is, will it really add to that many games on the field? I think they're going to be playing from behind frequently because I don't think the rotation is as good as the bullpen. I think that's kind of the problem that the Orioles had. Though the White Sox will be better than the Orioles. So so nobody say, Zaborski says that, they'll be, that they're going to lose 117 billion games. Uh, but I think there's just that kind of blend where the Orioles had that great bullpen, uh, and it was even a good bullpen last year, but they were just playing from behind too often for really to reflect in the win total. But it is a good group, and it's a it's generally a very cost-controlled group uh, that has you know, a lot of years to go until free agency. Uh, but it's something the White Sox have done well with. They have cobbled together pretty good bullpens even during the rebuilding phase. It never became an atrocious uh, mess and never became a tire fire.
0: Yeah, having six average or above average bullpen arms will help. I mean if you're going to beat your expectations in a season – Uh, You know, Jim and I always talk about this. It seems like if you have a really strong bullpen like the Seattle Mariners did last year, you you can definitely beat out your projections or uh, even beat out your your Pythag record. Uh, So be interested to see if the White Sox bullpen can hold up and meet those projections for 2019. Before we let you go, after discussing the projections, how many wins is Zips projecting for the 2019 White Sox?
1: I think low seventies, which is nothing, to, nothing to you know poo poo. I mean, it's a ten game improvement, ten ish game improvement. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing final projections, of course, uh, uh, until we get to the season, because I, I I think it's an improved team, and I think they're on the right track. I just think that they're not there in 2019. So if it sounds negative at times, it's mostly because we've been talking a lot about 2019 it's a team that I really would like to see in, you know, 2020 and 2021. That's when I think they'll really start to hit their stride, so to speak. I mean, even the White Sox, I mean, not the White Sox. We're talking about the White Sox. Even the Cubs, when when, when they finally blew up, they still had that 73-win team in between the the playoff appearances and the rebuild. So I, I, I don't think that this is a bad season in, in the big picture. It's just not really a win-heavy, if you're – primarily concerned with 2019 type of season
0: well hopefully when we talk about the 2020 and 2021 zips projections it'll be a lot more exciting than what we're currently looking at now but again uh, we'll see what the players do on the field this isn't dan's opinion this is what zips is saying to us so let's you know don't attack him but you can follow dan on for
1: other things uh though i don't want you don't want to be too true you don't be too controlling of people just get mad for, for specific dan things <laughs> but you can follow dan on twitter
0: he's at DZaborski. you can read dan's excellent work on fangraphs.com he's been releasing all of the zips rejections for all the teams in major league baseball i highly recommend reading all of them and you can join his always entertaining afternoon monday chats as well on fangraphs.com and dan as always thanks for stopping by
1: Thanks for having me on again, Josh. This is our 15th time, I think, together or so. Yes,
0: Yes, and hopefully a lot more in 2019. Moving forward with our position previews, we now look at the Chicago White Sox starting pitching staff. In 2018, we saw Ronaldo Lopez and Lucas Gilito pitch their first full seasons in the major leagues with different results. Carlos Hernan was up and down when he finally joined the team James Shields grinded out 200 innings, and we got to see Michael Kopech for a brief time before his elbow blew up. When you look at the final results, they are terrible. The 2018 White Sox are 26th in ERA, 29th in FIP. They have the worst walk rate in Major League Baseball, and they are 28th in strikeout rate. If the White Sox are going to surprise some folks in 2019— They will need the starting pitching to be much better. Will they? Well, helping me preview the White Sox starting pitching staff is Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Let's start with Carlos Rodon, as I'm assuming he will lead the rotation in 2019. We just had Dan Zaborski on to share the Zips projections. And for Carlos, Zips is not confident he will stay healthy again in 2019, only projecting 130 innings. Can the White Sox count on Carlos Rodan to be fully healthy in 2019 and lead this rotation? I don't think they can, but
2: I think you know when you look at the the, the rest of the off season, and I guess you know they they haven't gone all out in a lot of regards for improving the roster. I think uh, they're not really counting on it. They're 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 not acting as though it's the most important thing. I think you know, Rodan having only a couple of years left to team control and, uh, not having a ton of trade value being in this weird in-between place for his contributions to the rebuild. Uh, I think the White Sox are kind of taking it year to year, not really placing too much importance on his role, but hoping to get something out of him and maybe hoping he can lead the rotation or be a, at least a, a good number three starter for a winning team and, you know, towards the end of his window. But, uh, i guess the hope here is that having a full healthy offseason having a routine uh might be the way for him to be effective for at least five months of a six-month season uh you know that's i think aspirational for him uh based on the way he faded down the stretch uh, i guess i just don't see him maintaining kind of his peak form for the entire thing but uh I guess that's just everybody's hope. Fingers crossed that the regular offseason season, a regular spring training will be enough to you know have him have this lefty killing form that is effective, you know, that, that at least most
0: pitchers uh, you know can't quite replicate at least for chunks of the season. So do you still believe that Rodon can tap into the potential of a three to four win pitcher that we dreamt of when he was selected by the White Sox? Maybe three. Um,
2: you know, and, and depending on, I guess, the measurement and, and run prevention, you know, maybe, uh, baseball reference he could get there. Um, you know, if he gets lucky with run prevention, maybe true peripherally, uh, you're talking about walks and strikeouts and home run prevention might be a little bit hard to attain. I, I think one of the biggest disappointments, uh, with Rodon for me was that his effectiveness against lefties, uh, you know, the, the, the hitters he's supposed to kill, Really went by the boards, you know, towards the end, and the slider was getting killed by lefties. It was really unusual just to see them raking against him, uh, so that that caused some alarm to me. And I'm hoping that was just trying to get through the rest of the season and uh, you know gut through it without causing any long-term damage, and comes back refreshed and having more power on his pitches. But it that was what caused me to think like uh, you know maybe Pete Rodon, you know, if he's not defeating lefties like he normally does, then maybe it's going to be hard for him to summon that kind of excellence for any
0: huge amount of stretch of time. Ronaldo Lopez had a strong finish to 2018 and I'm excited to see what he could do in 2019, but the projections Jim think Lopez will pitch closer to his FIP total last year than his ERA. He had a sub four ERA. His FIP was 4.6. So a big difference. Which means brace for regression if the projections are right. Do you agree with the projections that Lopez could take a step back in 2019? I'm bullish on
2: Lopez. I think he can be a sub four ERA pitcher going forward. I do understand why the projections are what they are. Um, you know, he had problems getting strikeouts early in the year. And then when you look at his strong finish, you look at the teams he faced over the last two months. Uh, Royals, Yankees, Tigers, Royals, Tigers, Yankees, Tigers, Angels, Orioles, Cubs, Twins. Uh, That's a lot of Royals and Tigers and Orioles and a lot of just terrible rebuilding offenses in that. And, you know, part of it's the division. You know, he's going to face the Royals, he's going to face the Tigers, and they're not beefing up their offenses. Uh, So I think, you know, there will be some uh, divisional uh, luck there on his side and you know, in the really haven't added much either so maybe he uh you know gets a boost from them too, having such a weak outfield uh and, and that might be some way for pitchers to beat the projections overall just the the strength of schedule but uh i can see that you know maybe putting a little bit of a dent in that otherwise excellent walk to strikeout ratio over his last like month and a half um so it, it may maybe causes a little bit of reservation for my enthusiasm, but. Based on the way he finished, and, and especially like the way his stuff finished, um, you know, being able to carry his fastball late in the games, late in the seasons, uh, that answered the durability and endurance uh, questions that I had the year before. And uh, I think that was huge for him. I think when it comes to a pitcher trying to establish himself in the majors, any kind of success is welcome. And then you fine tune it to be more sustainable after that. And I think uh, Lopez maybe got to that point last year and. Is basically the pitcher who uh,
0: has a good idea of what he's doing in 2019. One pitcher projection systems believe will be better in 2019 is Lucas Giolito because, honestly, it can't get much worse. We've Mm -hmm. spoken a lot about Giolito, but what are you hoping to see from him out of this spring training that will give you hope, Jim, that maybe things will turn around when the regular season begins?
2: Well, I'm not sure if he can buy into spring training because he's very good in spring training last year. I think that's really the, maybe the one frustrating thing about him to start. Yeah, there are many frustrating things, but I think uh, initially the obstacle will be that spring training might be meaningless. He looked great at uh, Camelback Ranch last year and then came into the season not uh, yeah, not being able to find his, his fastball commander, his breaking ball, walking a lot of guys. Maybe we've talked about it before in PO Sox that maybe it's a cold weather thing a little bit. Uh, I guess we'll find out about that. But the one thing I liked about his offseason or what he was talking about when working, uh, I think it was a James Fegan article, talking about how Gialito and Kopac were working out at the same place in California, being a veteran of the uh, Tommy John surgery recovery. And Gialito said that he was working on building his core strength in order to maintain his delivery and not fall off so much uh you know, basically be able to condition his muscles and condition his muscle memory into you know pushing a straight line to the plate and maintaining his leverage and everything and you know maybe that's the biggest issue for him uh last year was maintaining his delivery not overthrowing not falling off the way he did in the first base side and so it seems like it's a good way to attack uh the problem uh, at least it makes sense to me being a having a uh outsider's knowledge of mechanics and biomechanics and and you know i guess physical conditioning towards meeting those goals but
0: at least it's understanding the issue and i hope it works we got a couple of patreon questions about giolito first one's from as and jim as is asking you what do you think is the likely range of outcomes for lucas giolito this season
2: well i think it could be you know i think last year uh that he has the option remaining and the White Sox can send him down. I think if it looks like he, if he looks like he did last year, and it's not an injury, I can't see him going back down to AAA If they have somebody else who can use the starts, and if Gilito, you know, based on his history and personality of being somebody who overthinks things and, and might be a little bit sensitive to the stage and the pressure and trying to work on issues in front of uh you know, that many people in in stadiums with three decks you know maybe going back to charlotte would help him going back to steve mccaddy would help him and uh you know maybe spend some time there so that's one option i think at the high end or i guess at the the, the positive end i can see him being kind of where lopez was last year i don't know if he'll have the kind of dominating stuff to be a an all-star type pitcher even like a, a lucky all-star you know that might be a little bit overstating it at this point but I can't see him getting his ERA around 4 and uh you know having some good runs maybe having some runs where uh you know, aren't good you know maybe the the delivery problems appear for a start and he walks guys and gives some homers and hangs the curveball and things go a little bit sideways for him for a few starts in a row and that 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 causes numbers to uh uh you basically inflate his ERA to the point where he just can't make it up with the kind of stuff he has but I can't see him being like an 180 inning
0: pitcher that uh, is good enough to you know, like hold down a mid-rotation spot. Our next question about Giolito from Patreon comes from Andrew Siegel. And they're asking you, Jim, does Michael Kopech's injury mean the White Sox are less likely to exercise Giolito's one remaining option in 2019? So I know you mentioned that they could possibly send him down if he performs terribly, but with Kopech being hurt, uh, are they less likely to do that? I don't think so. I, I see where he's coming from, and I can see,
2: you know, that's one, uh, uh, you know, I guess one fewer pitcher who can actually take a major league rotation spot early in the season and, and deserve it. I think right now the the internal options are pretty short for contributing immediately. Maybe Dylan Cease is somebody who uh, kicks down the door and, and demands, starts with his talent in July, but otherwise there aren't many pitchers, you know, contending for those spots, which is why we've heard so much about Manny Banuelos and even Dylan Covey getting starts. Uh, the immediate candidates aren't quite there. So I understand where he's coming from with uh, you know maybe Giolito saving that option year for when Kopeck and Cease and maybe Dane Dunning uh, are more worthy of those spots. But I think for Giolito, it's going to be more about trying to get him correct by any means necessary. I think they want to get him on board uh, in a form that they can count on, you know, contributions one level or another whether it's a, you know, decent number four starter or somebody who flirts between number 3 number 2. Uh, you know, that would all be great and I think that would be a they'd be happy with that range of outcomes and I think they would do whatever they can this year uh to make that happen and I think, you know, if he has a 6 ERA and, you know, they can send him down or they or they avoid sending him down and he's back where he was or or, or let's just say simply We're having the same conversation about him then that we're having about him now. Mm -hmm. I just don't see how that helps the Sox or Giolito long-term. So I think taking an aggressive tack this year to solve his problems or find out that his problems are maybe never going to be solved, I think that has more value than preserving that option at all costs.
0: So Ivan Nova joins the White Sox rotation, replacing James Shields. And Nova's in the final year of his contract, Jim. So he could be trade bait if Rickon wanted to move him at the all-star break if Nova performs well in the first half. Do you expect Nova to be with the White Sox all season? Or do you think, you know, he can pitch well enough to be dealt to a contender?
2: Well, it kind of reminds me of of, uh, Miguel Gonzalez uh, as somebody who, you know, isn't going to be in demand at the deadline, but could be useful. Um, you know, whether it's in uh, July or August, a team looking at him saying like, well, he's going to be a free agent. Um, we'll take him for, you know, somebody who is going to need a, a either a 40-man roster spot or is blocked and they have no use for him. Uh, I can see that conversation coming up. But I think Nova, you know, just he's – it's an unsexy profile, just uh, kind of control-based uh, – holding base runners he's pretty good defensively um yeah that that stuff adds up to to help run prevention but isn't somebody who can really count on handing playoff spots or playoff starts to and feeling great about your chances so it's a limited upside but i think it helps the white Sox in in strike throwing which they needed uh holding runners which the catchers needed and defense too just uh trying to keep these guys from taking base after base whether it's free bases in terms of walks or steals or huge jumps or anything, you know, what have you. I think Nova brings a little bit more professionalism, you know, well-rounded awareness that maybe younger pitchers working on so many things just didn't quite have.
0: And after Nova, it's still a question mark about who will have the fifth spot in the starting rotation. Who do you think is the leading contender for that role during spring training? And who do you, if you had to make a guess, before spring training games start, who do you think ends up being the fifth starter for the White Sox to start 2019?
2: I'm guessing it's going to be Manny Benuelos, um, based on the way the White Sox are talking about him. They, you know, whether it was Sox Fest or before, you know, when we were kind of was talking about uh, how he wants to add a pitcher. You know, maybe there's a March deal to swing for a, a swingman or a, uh, you know, somebody who, um, you know, is runs out of options with another team and the White Sox can carry him in a a rotation or at least on the 25 man roster. Uh, I can see that maybe happening in March, but I think right now they're pretty high in Banuelos being somebody who can contribute. And he had a nice season with the Dodgers. Unfortunately for him was with the Dodgers that have a ton of starters. And so he wasn't needed, Uh, but a team like the White Sox who can use any kind of competency uh, and, and will gamble to see you know we'll give a guy an extended audition to see what he can offer for cheap uh i think the white Sox can give ben Whale a starts you know or at least like a month of starts uh based on the year he had last year so they, they've been speaking about him very highly uh it seems like they definitely want to give him starts over dylan covey and so that might be the case where uh He's the option by default and might actually deserve it by the end of spring training, too. The other guy who I want to see what the White Sox have plans for is, is Randall Delgado. They got him on a minor league contract, a non-roster uh, invitation. Uh, he's taken a number of starts with the Diamondbacks. He's been an effective swingman, um, you know, being able to take some spot starts, uh, working multiple innings. Until last year, I think he had uh, shoulder issues um, that cost him a lot of the season and so he needs to rebuild some value, um, basically on a one-year deal because he's already uh, hit free agency. It's not like he has service time left, so um, it's going to be a, basically a one-year deal. But I can see the White Sox maybe, if Delgado looks good, you know, maybe using him like Hector Santiago where you hope to get four to five innings out of him and then going to some other bullpen guys. But I think it's going to be Banuelos first, maybe Covey if uh, you know they're, they know Covey's limitations and are happy getting four innings out of him. Maybe a Delgado, too, some kind of uh, tandem situation, a piggyback situation. Um, but hopefully, fingers crossed, Ben Willows is the guy. He looks like somebody who can contribute like a 4.5.
0: Even like a, a high 4 ERA would be better than what Covey showed last year. At some point in 2019, I think I speak for a lot of White Sox fans, we hope to see Dylan Cease at some point. But, Jim, if this season doesn't go well, and stemming from Michael Kopech getting hurt last year, do you think that there's a possibility that we might not see Cease in 2019, that he may hit some type of quote-unquote innings limit, and the White Sox wait until 2020 to call him up? Uh, I don't think so. Me, yeah, I understand
2: uh And I had the same thought, too, that would Kopech's injury scare the White Sox off from losing a year of service time? I think with Cease, he's already had one Tommy John surgery. So if he had another one, that completely changes the trajectory of his career, Um, the expectations going forward. And so, you know, even if you you lose a year of service time, you have much bigger questions to deal with in terms of what he can offer, you know, whether it's in the rotation or... Uh, you know whether he needs to go to the bullpen. Uh, there have been more success stories of guys who have been two-time recipients of Tommy John surgery, so it's not a, it's not a death sentence. But I, I do think it changes the forecast considerably, and so uh, it it wouldn't be the biggest, yeah, you know, I guess it wouldn't be the biggest concern that lost year of service time would be. And I, I think the White Sox would really just want to take what's best for Cece's development. And you know if he pitches at Birmingham the way he did. Uh, last year and has no issues with Charlotte then I would like to see him up in June July August whatever makes sense and uh, hopefully they don't get you know gun shy about it again (laughs) just uh, because I I think it hurt more with Kopech just not and you know not having that kind of surgery before Um, there there is a huge difference between the first and second one and so maybe the White Sox are maybe kicking themselves a little bit and wishing they waited till September to do it but yeah, I, I don't see them Yeah, I don't see the cases being comparable enough to where Kopech's uh season would really
0: change how they feel about Cease. Will this rotation be better in two thousand nineteen than in two thousand eighteen, Jim? I think so. Um and and sense <laughs> like it's hard to be worse in some ways with
2: the way Kovey got shelled and Giolito and, and such, but you know, I think you have to give James Shields some credit for uh, pitching as many innings as he did. Uh, that was really kind of unthinkable, especially with Miguel Gonzalez going out. Shields really did carry a heavy load, but I'm hoping you know with Lopez figuring out how to miss more bats, with Banuelos being a better option than Covey, with uh, Giolito hopefully figuring out his delivery and, and being uh, you know more consistent with uh, just his mechanics, uh, with Ivanova replacing Shields well enough, I'm fingers crossed i keep saying fingers crossed to these pitchers and also with carlos rodan having a uh you know full healthy off season and spring training hopefully that's enough to where even if one of those guys doesn't you know whether gilito needs to go back to triple a whether Rodon has another issue hopefully they're insured from you know being able to absorb the impact of one of those setbacks maybe if they have multiple ones again you know, then the wheels come off and they're they're short on replacements, short on uh, capable innings, and it's just a mess again. But I think they're a bit deeper this time, especially one through four, and that should help a little bit. And if it's ugly again, then that's uh, bigger problems because that means that uh, Lopez and Giolito are are a mess. And, you know, depends on what happens with Dane Dunning, too. Um, He's kind of a dark horse in the whole thing because the elbow strain, kind of a mystery Pitcher, if he comes back and, and builds on what he did in uh, Birmingham, you know maybe he's some
0: additional depth in the end of the season too. Our last cut, our last question comes from a Patreon supporter, and it comes from Gregory Waltz and Jim Gregory is asking you: Is the starting pitching rotation good enough to compete for the American League Central?
2: Not yet. Uh, I think maybe if they signed a Dallas Keuchel, uh, you know, somebody who can contribute 180 good innings. And has a track record of doing so. Maybe you can count on Lopez, Keichel, good Carlos Rodan, whether it's Gialolo or Banwelo, somebody providing or Nova, somebody providing the fourth spot, and then getting not the worst case scenario in the fifth spot. Maybe that would be enough, but I think there's still there's still too many realistic worst case scenarios in play that are really worst case. So I would hold off on expecting great things and i think they would need great things from the rotation to compete uh right now i'm just hoping for lopez to solidify himself for giolito or Rodon to solidify himself hoping that nova you know is is what the white Sox hope he was and then hope that banuelos you know can live up to this bill as a surprisingly good back of the rotation starter i think if you get those guys and cease fully intact Kopech coming back, I think that's enough to work with for 2020. But I think 2019, trying to gun for a central title with this rotation seems. Yeah, I can see how it might happen, but I think it's just. Uh, it would require everything breaking for them, and based on the White Sox history, uh, you can't count on that many good breaks.
0: Where do you think they rank within the division? I'm just curious. Uh are they the worst? I don't. Th- I think the Royals are pretty bad. Yeah, the Royals are well. They got Danny Duffy. Yeah, depending on you know what kind of shape he's in. Tigers have Michael Fulmer for the time being. Yeah. The tw- the Twins have Jose Bureos.
2: Yeah, I think yeah the Twins are definitely better. But I think the Central, you know, when you have three rebuilding teams and three and and three teams that aren't doing everything in their power to get better, <laughs> I think uh, yeah, yeah yeah it's just it's a mess. Um. Yeah, it's. You know, when we look at the Tigers, you know, I guess, you know, is, is it, uh, you know, hoping for Zimmerman still? Is it, you know, Matt Boyd? Yeah, it's, they have some, they're kind of in a similar spot, but maybe with immediate, less immediate help. With, uh, you know, Kopech, you know, maybe coming back and with uh, Cease there. You know, I, I can see them, I can't see them kind of getting the second half boost that the White Sox might get. So, so maybe they're a third
0: best. That's just something I was curious about, but... That concludes as far as our starting pitching preview for the 2019 podcast previews. And that will also conclude this episode of the Sox sheet Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Next week on March 4th, we are back to our normal podcast. So we will be bringing back P.O. Sox. Thank you guys so much for listening the last couple of weeks as I have been away on vacation if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can listen to us in a variety of ways. One is through Spotify and iTunes, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.